Well, uh, I know one thing that'll help. Get Zion back. It's <laughs> my advice. Christian needs it. Who's got? What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number three of Birdwatch, a Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. I'm here today with Scott Kusher, Pelicans columnist for the New Orleans Advocate. Hello, everybody. I'm here with sports producer Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Uh, today, I would say morale is a little bit low. <laughs> Pelicans have lost five games in a row. We just got out of practice. What, what would you describe the mood as? Prickly. Okay. I think that was a, uh, a team that is annoyed with answering the same question over and over and over and over again. And they should probably stop doing the same thing over and over and over there's again if they, would like, if they would like to get a different question. Because right now there's really one focus on this whole team. They can't close games. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I'm not even asking stuff about the end of games anymore because th- th- there's just no new ground to cover. I mean, th- the Pelicans are 4-9 in games this year that were within five points at any point during the last five minutes. They just lost two of them in a row to Oklahoma City. There, there were those type of games. They lost to the Lakers before that that was just a heartbreaker. I mean, that was one of the more crushing losses I've, I've seen in some time in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, for, for what that game meant to the people in that building uh, and for it to transpire the way it did really is about as backbreaking as you can fathom uh, considering all the buildup there was to that game. And now the way the season has gone, the way it's went, you're really in a situation for a lot of people, it was a two-game season. The season was that game and Zion's return. And that's a Zion's debut, I guess we're going to call it. Uh, you know, that's it. And for that one to go as badly as it did so typifies the first six weeks of the season. It's really hard to fathom um, just how uncomfortable it's been for everyone around here. It, it, did, it did kind of feel like just with the emotional energy spent in that game by the fans... I don't know, like, you can look in, at Boston and hear the, cor- you know, coordinated chance against Kyrie Irving, yeah. but that's Boston. If you've ever been to a Celtics game, that crowd is just on fire every night. Yeah. There have only been a handful of Pelicans games the last few years where the fans actually impacted the game. They were able to be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they made it happen. And it seemed like if they had found a way to win that game, there would have been positive energy flowing about the Pelicans, even at six and what would they, or I'm sorry, there would have been seven and twelve, seven and thirteen at that point. There would have been like, hey, but we just beat the best team in the NBA record-wise, uh, and they and they did it by coming out with emotion and going against Anthony Davis and proving that you know they could do it. And with just it was a close loss, and I think they proved a lot. But I think just just the feelings around the team after that loss weren't good. The, the vibes weren't good. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. I mean, that was definitely by far the most juice I've ever sensed in the building since I started covering that team. Where, where does that rank in, in your years around the team? Just like, I don't want to say vitriol, but like the energy level. I mean, Pierre the Pelican was beating the hell out of the drum before the game, Scott. God, that is the worst thing in sports, isn't it? <laughs> How dare it's you. stupid. Only because people seem embarrassed to do it. Like, it, Yeah, because it, it's embarrassing. It's you, really dumb. I wouldn't do it. I'm I don't not even know kidding. I like it. it. Yeah. I don't oh care. my God, it's I'm insane. I'm not even kidding. I, I like it's it. It's insane. It's just this 
phony version of the yeah. Who That chant, which is such a, a, a real and authentic thing. And I've sat like in the crazy. stands for a few games this season while they did it, and you, you, as you look around, you, you see Pierre out there banging the drum, and you got to give him credit. He's going for it. But then you look around at the people, and it's like everyone's just like, are you going to do it? Are you gonna? I don't no. want to. I don't want to do it if you're not gonna do it. Like I'm not doing it. And then all of a sudden, it's just only Pierre hitting a drum, and the speakers saying, "Won't bow down," and it's cringeworthy. Because you can't best. make this stuff up in a marketing agency. It doesn't work that way. And it's I, not I the think, way sports has ever worked. It's not the way LSU works. Not the way the Saints work. It's I, not going to work here. I think it would be cool if it worked. You know, if it was a playoff game and you got people going yeah. for it, I think it would be cool. It would be fun, but. Just the way things are currently, with the interest level and the and the and the energy of the people at the game, it just, uh, it's tough. Maybe there should be a clause that Pierre can't bang the drum after any three-game losing streak. <laughs> yes, that would help. <laughs> I think that's a fair agreement. Yeah, or any weeknight <laughs> game. Yeah, the uh, but a no, literal over- drum or a figurative drum. <laughs> Overall, I would say that was uh, among the best crowds that I've seen covering this team including those playoff games. It reminded me a lot of those playoff games against Portland and against Golden State where the building was alive. When people show up here, they make noise because it's not a corporate crowd. It's a lot of individuals. It's real people who actually like the team and care when they're there. But the reason that they struggle to fill the building every night is because it's not a lot of corporate, and so you don't get that turnover. People who have season tickets don't want to come 41 games a year, particularly when the team is bad, which... They've mostly been bad, so it was a really good crowd. It was a, I thought it was a really fun night. I know that's going to go down as you know a really sour night for a lot of people who were there, but that was a really fun night. And I wish it was like that more often uh, for the Pelicans. Yeah, that was that was just some good old fashioned sports aid. It was good, clean fun. You know, any yeah. any worries that people had outside of this market that oh, Anthony Davis is is going to get like too much hate. I think that was ridiculous in the first place. We don't need to spend much time talking about that. You know, it was it was exactly what it should have been, and, and it was a really fun game. And man, the team was into it. Alvin Gentry was into it. Alvin Gentry was like uppercutting air. Yeah, I mean, that's when you knew he was into it. Um, and then it was so jarring going from that to the next home game where they're playing OKC at like 4 p.m. on a Sunday. That's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and, and that really explains where this franchise is, right? It's like that you are not going to get that level every night. It needs to be a special type of event, and. Uh, they need to build it into being something different than that. And that was what Zion was supposed to bring. It was supposed to be like this immediate catalyst into that. And I think we're learning that it's just not that easy. You have to build a real culture. They've tried to skip doing that for 15 years here. It don't work. If you're going to build a real basketball culture, it takes time. It takes consistency. And it's uh, a really uphill road. And they haven't gotten there yet. So I think that's one of... The, the biggest struggles for me so far is that I'm coming in covering this new era and you know when I when I step back and take the 10,000 foot view or whatever I still like what I see but at the same time you know I'm on the ground every day and like things are not going well right now and like you know injuries have obviously been a part of it it, it was pretty staggering when it was pointed out last night that the Pelicans have had, not had one single player who's appeared in all 20 games like I yeah because Drew missed too early yeah and that was basically I mean and then I think Kenrich was the only other one who had made it that long. But yeah, it does. It explains so much about this team that you can't keep anything together. So so I guess what do you how do you think fans should be feeling about, you know, rightfully being frustrated about the way things have gone versus, you know, there's there's still a lot of re- reason for optimism, you know, 2-3 years down the road. 
Yeah, the long view, I think the team is probably in better shape than they were two months ago because I think you've seen Brandon Ingram has become the level of scorer that they hoped they were going to get in that trade. On the other side, Lonzo is probably worse than most were expecting, at least I was expecting. I thought he would fit together with Holiday more. You had a longer-term piece. But those were probably the only two things that mattered outside of Zion. Uh, you knew what you had in Drew Holiday. You knew what you had in all those other guys. It was what did those does Ingram and Ball look like long-term? Are those pieces that you can actually use going forward? Ingram is every bit as good, if not better, than they could have ever expected. And that is a huge huge step for this season and if he fits with Zion then that's an even bigger step and then you've got a max contract guy you have a real core of three players who you know you can rely on going into next season and that is a huge win as far as Lonzo is concerned obviously he had the stomach bug I don't know you know exactly what went into that but it kept him out a few games and he had another injury that kept him out a few games while he's playing it just doesn't seem like he's completely grasping what he's supposed to be doing a lot of the time. Do you think part of that is because, you know, he seems like he's built for playing alongside Zion Williamson. He just has that skill set and he has the lob game that you saw in the preseason that, you know, they had a really good kind of rapport there. Do you think that's something where when when Zion does come back, whenever that happens, do you think that's going to be just an upgrade for him and he's going to look suddenly like it's a different offense? Or is there other actual struggles here schematically? I just don't think he's looked either A, healthy, or B, like he understands what he's supposed to be doing most of the time. So much of the season he spent standing outside the perimeter. Now, Sunday's game against Oklahoma City, I felt like he got into it a little bit more. He was driving more, those kinds of things. But so much of the year is him just standing on the perimeter and taking threes. And there are a lot of guys in this league who can do that and do that well. That's not supposed to be Lonzo Ball's game. So... I don't know if Zion is the the issue there, but certainly it didn't. It has not looked right. And his fit next year, Holiday, they were supposed to be so good defensively on the perimeter. Two guys who individually have had great defensive moments in this league. Why hasn't it worked better when they're out there together? Yeah, I, I think one of the Pelicans' biggest problems so far is they just don't have a lot of guys right now who can who can put pressure on the defense and, and cut into the teeth of the defense. They kind of got Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram, and and that's pretty much it. You know, Zion can do that off the dribble, and he can especially do that roll into the rim. So I think Zion, Lonzo will look a little bit better next to, to Zion, but i gotta, I got to be honest, I, I'm getting a little bit worried about him. I mean, him being perimeter-oriented to the degree that, that he is, I just don't know if you can could be successful if you're a point guard in the NBA like that unless you're just a great shooter. You know, he's a, he's a good shooter right now, and even if the numbers look pretty good, He's still not a, not a guy with a lot of gravity. Like guys aren't out there hugging him. No. Um, just because you know it, it's kind of still a funky looking release. I don't think he scares you as a shooter, even if he is a little more confident. And he's he just doesn't even look at the rim when he when he drives. I mean, he, he's shooting what 0.8 free throws per game right now. He doesn't want to go to the line. It doesn't seem like he wants to go to the line. I mean, he hasn't said that obviously, but it it, it, it he does not attack with vigor. You know, he attacks trying to draw guys in rather than trying to finish and I think that is a uh, until he gets both of those sides going the, you need one to complement the other and it's been a real problem I when you think about Zion and that role man all that kind of stuff that is going to change things we saw just the gravity that Jackson Hayes has brought in and Jackson Hayes is not good I mean he's <laughs> he's fine for what he is he's, he's not a child. offensively he's, I, I, offensively he's, he's bad he's worse defensively struggles. 
he he can block he, shots yes, and he can right. dunk, and those are two good skills. Fundamentally, to have. you have some issues there. He should be an yeah. Erie. If everything went to plan this season, he would be an Erie right now, and he'd yeah. probably be awesome in Erie. But he's not a good NBA player. I think he would admit he's not a good NBA player. He's not supposed to be a good NBA player until a couple years down the line. I but he's added gravity in that. Transition goal. defense is something that he excels at, and I think that that's what you're seeing a lot of that. Right, yeah. Falcons are constantly in transition, <laughs> and you're seeing that's why you're seeing these great blocks in transition. You're seeing yeah. these really exciting plays, yeah. but when he gets down into the half court, and he has to, you know, <laughs> be fundamentally sound inside and stand up against a guy like Stephen Adams, you know, yeah. that's when you really see like, okay, he's yeah. not quite there. Yeah, he's weak. I think Nate Jones uh, said on Twitter. Um, center is the position most in the NBA where if you try to determine what's going on at center and you're just looking at the box score, it, it tells you the least. And I totally agree with that take. You know, I've been saying for a while, Derek Favors is, is really, really valuable for this team. And he might not put up sexy box score numbers, but he's in the right place. Like he discourages you from, from driving inside. And, you know, Jackson Hayes does does some really sexy things every once in a while, but he's still learning learning how to play the game. And that's not a knock on him at all. Most rookies are not good NBA players. Um, yeah, Zion is like one of the few who can who come in, can potentially come in right away and be a good NBA player as a rookie. But I think they really miss Derek Favors, and you know they're just in a, a really tough spot having to rely on Jackson Hayes for for thirty minutes a night. They never anticipated being in this position. No, they thought he was going to be in the G League, basically take a redshirt season, basically do what Nikhil Alexander Walker is doing right now, which is he's played in some spot duty when he's had to when there's been injuries, but. When everybody's there, he's on the bench, and he'll get a chance from time to time, but they did not anticipate they were going to have to use Jackson Hayes like this. His body is not NBA-ready. He certainly doesn't have the experience. I mean, I think he's only played three years of organized basketball. It's just a lot that doesn't work. You need more pieces on this team to work, and they're not going to win a lot of games until they do. But they're close, and that's the thing that I think is the most... uh, bothersome, I guess, with this is like they could still be in the hunt if they had just finished some games. Nobody's expecting them to, you know, be a 50-win team, but you could at least be a 500 team if you just closed out, you know, half the time. Yeah, I mean, last week on the on the podcast, we talked about how they struggle to start games, right? <laughs> they struggle to get out of the blocks. They seem to be allowing a ton more points in the first half than the second half. And, and they get down by so much in the first half that they spend the entire second half rolling a boulder up a hill, and they just haven't been able to get there, and it falls down. Perfect but storm. N- and now we're talking about how they seem to not be able to close games either. So if you can't open games well and you can't close games well, that seems to be a recipe for a lot of bad They're a lot of bad great moments. meat in the sandwich. <laughs> they show they up the bread. really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Favors is the bread. <laughs> that meat is sliced thick. But uh, it, it's just... <laughs> it's like a deli that gives okay. you the... Yeah. Hey. Uh, Some thick sliced meat. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. It's there. You get it. But you just, you know, you got to find it. Um, <laughs> all right. But, I mean, what... How do you get past that? How do you like what? What is more important there? Like, how do you find a way to fix both of those issues? Because they seem to be fundamentally different issues. I mean, what did JJ Redick said today? Shot selection, he thought, was the the biggest problem. He felt closing games. Uh, I think energy from the tip is clearly just something that's obvious. I mean, the, Oklahoma City shot like eighty percent Sunday, but uh, that was kind of insane in the first quarter. But 
energy from the tip, and then shot selection to the finish. Do you think it's as simple as shot selection, Christian? Oh man, no, I don't think it's as simple. Neither do I. I mean, you know, when you're when you're this bad, it's it's like a million different problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think when you're looking specifically at the end of games, it's it's been Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram have been the guys who are asked to, to shoulder the load right now, and you know, both have been disappointing. Um, you know, Brandon Ingram is 22 years old. I, I just think it's a really tough spot for him. Like so many times at the end of games, they're like. Well, hey, man, uh, you got the ball, and, and you got to create a really tough shot out of thin air. Um, you know, I think there are times, like Alvin and a couple guys have said, where they could play with a little more pace in the fourth quarter, but I also think that it's just natural for it to slow down. So, you know, yeah, the Pelicans could probably, you know, space the floor a little bit for, for Ingram better, but, I mean, I just, honestly, guys are just overextended, and they're relying on a 22-year-old to, to be, you know, one of their, their primary crunch time guys, and that's just a really tough spot. I don't understand the concept of how you can keep running at the league's fastest pace or whatever he wants into the final three minutes. And he said today, Alvin Gentry said today, like, oh, yeah, with 30 seconds left, maybe we can slow it down and run a set. It's like, that's, I mean, I've watched NBA basketball for a long time, like, it slows down. Like as the as the game nears its conclusion, the defenses get tighter, the possessions get longer. It's a very natural thing to happen. They for a while were able to lean on Anthony Davis in those situations. They don't have that now. I don't think they can just continue to think they're going to run past people, right? The, the comparison that I like to make is like it'd be like watching a football game and saying, "Okay, you're up 14 in the last minute. Now we're throwing it." Yeah. Like the you, Falcons did that in the Super Bowl. <laughs> it worked out well. So did the Seahawks. Yeah. How did that work out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It didn't uh, work out well either time. But it, you know, and and here's the quote. He a literal quote from Alvin Gentry after the Thunder lost the other night. He says, "I don't know why we have the tendency to all of a sudden start playing isolation basketball the last three minutes." And that's true. But I think what he's really saying there is we need to be out in transition. The only you know we talk about shot selection. The only bad. Like objectively bad shot I can remember from that game was you know Brandon Ingram toward the end he took a contested three I think he was trying to draw a foul but it, it just wasn't the right shot in that moment and I think he'd agree but you know if he looked back he would say yeah I probably should have put the ball on the ground or found someone else and, and worked the offense but like like you said I don't see how you get around that it's the last three minutes of a basketball game that's what it is yeah. I mean, I don't understand what what the alternative is to running offense. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at this point, my biggest concern is morale. Like, how do you how do you just keep your head up through all these injuries? You know, Derek Favors suffered a personal tragedy. How do you how do you just keep going? Um, I did think it was interesting. JJ Redick said his first year in Philly was kind of similar to this. I don't think they were six and fourteen bad, but but they were under five hundred, like thirty games into the season, and. They're able to really turn it around um, and, and make the playoffs. So, I think it can be done. You know, it's interesting if you look at 538's model. It's still pretty optimistic that the Pelicans can make the playoffs. Um, I I would not bet on that. <laughs> I don't <laughs> you can get think. some good odds. <laughs> but you know, I think with how difficult the schedule is, with how banged up they've been, they could be a fun team. I think there's still a fun team in there this season. Yeah, the problem is, and this is what we started at, is have you just killed the buzz around this team for the season, essentially? Even when Zion is back, and even if they go, what's best case scenario? They win 55% from this point forward. You're still a below 500 team, probably, and you still kind of aren't going to ever creep into really that playoff conversation. 
so you start looking for other things. You start thinking about next year, that kind of stuff. It's December 1st when we're recording this. So it's a hard thing to do right now. Uh, but it does... There are definite pieces that can do well going forward. You got to see the forest of the trees, though, because right now it's hard to watch. I mean, it, when they got in the last five minutes of that game, you could sense that they were going to lose. And they lost both times. And even that Lakers game, I think I turned to you in the very end of the fourth quarter. And I was like, if they're not up by 15 to start the fourth, they're going to lose this game. And they're up by like 11 or 10, and they lost. So it's a uh, they're in a bad spot because they don't have. A lot of guys, a lot of places to turn. Uh, until they get their full roster back, we don't even know where the best place to turn is. I think it's interesting that Reddick compared it to, you know, his first year in Philly because his first year in Philly, they were coming off of Joel Embiid played 31 games the year before. So, I mean, he has some experience with, we have this star player. We know he's an incredible basketball player. He's just not here right now. Um, so it, I think that they're, that's part of the reason he was brought in, not that specifically, but just being a veteran who has been incorporated into all these different systems. Uh, I think that's important. And, you know, as the morale around the team kind of dips, you know, if it does, I'm not speaking for, you know, this is just a, a theoretical situation. You know, it, as the, if the morale dips, he's the type of guy who you'd expect to be able to bring that back because he's been in these situations. You know, he's been in the He's been surrounded by young players with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and a lot of other guys in Philadelphia, you know, and he's been able to succeed in that scenario. Uh, so I think I think he's a guy you look at as the season goes on and, and you see where he's where he is and where the team is, and then you kind of go relative to that. But, um, you know, the, the last few years of Philadelphia are probably a really good way to look at this team and kind of judge the trajectory of how they're progressing. on Birdwatch, New Orleans Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. Uh, you guys can go subscribe to us. We get, we're on the Apple podcast player. We're on Spotify now. Mash that subscribe button, please. Uh, this is episode number three here with Scott Kushner. So we talked about the gloomy stuff a little bit. Uh, I want to spend at least a little time, I don't know, I, I guess searching for the silver linings. Uh, today is six weeks since Zion Williamson had surgery to repair that meniscus. Um, it, it sounds like it's still going to be a little while. Uh, Zion has not started on-court work yet. Um, you know, Alvin Gentry mentioned he's itching to get back, but this is kind of one of those instances where you know you're you're protecting the player from himself more than anything. Um, I think there's a, a decent chance that we see him by the end of this month. So, I guess, what are realistic expectations for Zion Williamson? You know, we we talked a lot about how. Rookies are rarely ever good, but this is a guy who, at 18 years old, had one of the greatest college seasons ever. And he was really good in the preseason. I mean, it wasn't just at the college level. He showed in NBA games against NBA players in first, second quarters of preseason games that he could actually get to the rim and draw fouls and do a lot of the things that this team so badly needs uh, them to do for this system to have any chance. I always thought Christmas was probably about the the timeline to expect because they're going to be super cautious with him. He's got a crazy unique uh, physique. Nobody has ever been like him as far as when you're going to try to put him back on the floor of a 
bouncy 285 pounder like that doesn't exist in this sport uh so it was going to take more time than six to eight weeks i was surprised they came out that six to eight weeks to begin with but i do think when he gets back not only will it just be more interesting to watch him because he is the future of this team he's the future of this franchise uh in its entirety really the whole ethos of this thing is built around zion uh but you're gonna have to see if this system actually does fit him and if more importantly probably Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball really fit him to see if they really fit long term. Yeah, I think from just a, a basketball on court perspective, Pelicans are a bad defensive team. They're a bad rebounding team. Um, I think Zion can absolutely help in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I almost think that like from an emotional and a morale standpoint, it, it's almost just as significant because and this team, it's like a sad dog right now. Like, I, I don't even know what, what I can ask right now. I'm, I'm kind of just waiting for this thing to be over. Like, I feel like they need the been emotional wait, lift. Been waiting five years, Greg. <laughs> Still waiting. Whoa. No, I mean, this is the way it is here. They've just gotten banged up. It's hard when everyone's injured because you don't want to criticize that hard at the same time because you know what the issue is. But you get judged. The results are the results. Nobody feels bad for you, you know? You're an NBA team on an NBA floor. So, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, there. you're good. And I, I think, you know, with Zion... You'll see him slide into that power forward role, um, probably start there. I, I would imagine he takes Kenrich Williams' place. Um, I, I think Kenrich has, has done an awesome job, but he's best suited for a bench role. So you'll, you'll see probably a, an Ingram, um, Zion, and either Jackson Hayes or Derek Favors front court, which I think is a good front court. Um, it'll, it'll be fun to watch Ingram and Zion play together. You know, it looks right now we're projecting those are going to be the two guys. I'm, I'm very interested to see how they mesh. And I think, you know, the beauty of Zion, too, is you can use him at small ball five lineups for, for, you know, a limited number of possessions in a game. And that's one area, you know, Pelicans need a lot of help right now. I think they'd, you know, they'd be much better off going, you know, to Zion at the small ball five than like Hayes or Okafor for, for 15 or 20 minutes a game. Yeah, Jackson Hayes, you just can't play him against so many guys because he's not strong enough. He's tall, but he doesn't rebound particularly well for the his size. Zion rebounds extremely well for his size, uh, but they still are going to lack, you know, length. When you play long, you know, fours like they got to play Luka Doncic twice this week, that's tough. You know, like how do you guard that with the roster that they currently have? And that is going to be really, uh, I think, a point of fascination going forward with Zion is how does he fit guarding guys who are four or five inches taller than him? He might have an athletic advantage. He can probably beat them on a jump ball. But can he actually pull down a rebound? Can he actually block a shot uh, when it comes down to it? I think he's got the size to keep guys out of the paint. But that height advantage is going to be a, uh, a real thing. And that's uh, a, just one some of the stuff that we want to watch. Like, that's actually interesting. That's like a forward-thinking <laughs> problem to have. These problems that we're watching are just like they feel so temporary and they're just bogging them down. And you're right, the morale, I think, around them – suffers because of that because these aren't uh issues that give you any hope for the future these are just issues that suck right now (laughs) yeah um i heard a lot of zion you know comparisons he's an unprecedented player we should say that i heard a lot of comparisons though you know leading up to the draft my favorite one was what david griffin said in the sports illustrated article he called him draymond with rockets in his ass Mm -hmm. i love that one because zion you know he is a superstar but he has like almost a role player mentality and you know that's why I think he could be really impactful this year because you know as as much talent as he has like 
man, sometimes he just acts like Kenrich Williams out there. Like, he's just going to defend and, and get on the glass, and we, the Pelicans need some of that. Yeah, they've always said he, he plays like a role player. I mean, they didn't run the offense through him at Duke. Uh, they ran it through Barrett, and he was still there to be, you know, one of the most statistically impactful players in the history of college basketball for a season. Uh, so take that for what it is, that, that he... And, and that's the one thing that Griffin and Gentry have always said about him, is that he's team first, he wants to win, and that's why they built this thing the way they did. That's why they went and signed J.J. Redick and Derek Favors, and they didn't want to be 6-14 and 14 when they went into this season. There was a lot of ways they could have gone 6-14 and 14 and tanked and gotten the number one pick and ended up with Wiseman, and I think everyone would have been okay with that in a long-term view. They didn't want to do that because they knew Zion was more competitive. And instead, Zion's going to be walking into this place and they're going to be 10 games under 500. And that is, uh, I think, really dispiriting for a lot of people. It has to be. And especially because you look at, you know, you look at, we talked a lot about closing lineups and, you know, the, the failure to close and score in clutch moments. And, you know, I don't think that Zion coming back is going to immediately make them a more efficient basketball team. Um, he's not going to be able to extend the floor. You know, he, he'll shoot threes, but he's not going to be a shooter that draws you out, like you talked about gravity before. But he is a guy who's going to get offensive rebounds, and he's going to put them back, and they're going to be scoring in, in situations where right now they just have no presence to do that. And he's, more importantly, the late-game defense is going to be huge. You talked about how he plays like Kendrick Williams. Kendrick Williams is in that closing lineup a lot of these games playing the five. Think about that. He's guarding Anthony Davis. Right. I mean, you swap in Zion Williams into that spot, and all of a sudden that turns into something closer to, you know, the Warriors' death lineup when they had Draymond Green out there. And, you know, because it's not just the scoring. They allowed 30 points to the to the Thunder the other night in the fourth quarter. They scored 20. They outscored by 10, and they lost. A game they should have, they could have won. Against the Lakers, they allowed 35 points in the fourth quarter. They scored 21. They lost by four. Um, the other game, you know, three of the last four, you had the Clippers. They allowed 34 points. They scored 22. <laughs> they lost by 25. But it still goes back to the, like, a, it's a paradigm shift when he comes back. You just can't do the things with this roster you need to be able to do to be a, you know, a consistently efficient and winning basketball team. And I know when I walk around the building right now, the number one question that I get from everyone when they see a credential hanging on my neck or in my mentions or in my texts or when I go anywhere is how much of this is the coach's fault and should they fire Alvin Gentry? And I don't, they're, first of all, they're not going to fire Alvin Gentry, so we can start there. But how much of this do you think is coaching? Do you think that's a, a real culprit right now? Um, I, I think it's some of it. I mean, like, if you just look at the games against Oklahoma City, like... I know you have some guys out, but you probably got to get one of those games, right? Yeah. But it, it's just it's just hard for me to hammer someone when there's just been this much change. As we said earlier, mm-hmm. no player on this roster has appeared in all 20 games. I mean, the the injuries have, have been staggering. So they they should be better than 6-14. and 14. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. Um, but, man, it, it's hard for me to, to just get real fired up when, you know, it's, it's a different deck you're playing with every single night. Yeah, and I I think there's this thing where everybody who's here has watched him coach for five years, and the people who are making these decisions have not watched him coach for five years. This is a brand new thing to David Griffin. And so there's a disconnect in that regard, in that this team hasn't played for him for five years. The people who are managing you know, the coaching situation have not watched him for five years. 
but the fans have, and they've seen yeah. the same problems and the same issues and the same injuries and the same, you know. And so I do think the frustration gets a little higher on the fans' end than it does on the other because David Griffin really likes Alvin Gentry. He's not going to go ahead and fire him before Zion plays. I think that's crazy. And I think to blame all this on coaching is also a little unfair. I would argue that the fans think they're seeing the same problems and the same injury issues, yeah. and the, you know, but they're not. These are completely different teams. These are completely different sets of issues. Yeah. And it, you know, it, it's easy to get frustrated because you spent the whole season just just dealing with the Anthony Davis thing, and now you're spending the first half of this season dealing with this. These are not. This is not a repeat of last year. Yeah. This is last year. They were actually healthy in the first half of the season, and they could not get it done. You know, they were not, you know, Drew was there, Anthony Davis was there, yeah, and they just Elver, was Payton not. missed, I think, six weeks. That was the only significant right. injury. That but, I mean, the two stars on the team were playing. Yes. They were not without either of them for a significant amount of time, and they could not compete. And, you know, the team, they blew up the team. Mm-hmm. They brought in a whole new, you know, Anthony Davis forced their hand. But at the end of the day, I think they were going to blow up that team around him anyway. Yeah. Um, and so what you're seeing now, you know, there are issues and there are things to – criticize and you can say Gentry could be doing things differently but the idea that he hasn't been able to succeed for year after year after year with this team is just not reasonable yeah. uh, I mean I think a lot of coaches you would hand them an entirely new roster and say you know your the your star rookie is going to be out for the first 20 games and you're going to have pretty much everyone else out for five or six games throughout that stretch I don't think any coach would be able to to keep that yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, Kushner, I thought that was a really good point about these guys have been watching this for five years and I've been watching this for one month, you know? Yeah. Like, I, for sure, I would, I would probably feel and think differently if I'd you know, been the beat writer on this team for, for five years. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is just my opinion. But, you know, I think this is a really tough time for David Griffin, but I also don't think he minds that much. You know, he talked a lot about coming into this season. You, when you're a young team, you have to go through adversity together. He cited the Golden State Warriors, you know, getting their ass kicked early on. I think that is a part of the process, and I bet if you know you asked him and he was candid about this, you'd say this sucks, but this is just kind of a stretch you have to go to on on the way to to growing together if you're a young team. Definitely, and and that's something I don't think ever gets touched on. It's a really good point. Um, there's always going to be pain associated with it. The level of pain, I think, is what he was trying to mitigate because yeah. there is a difference between being 500 and being a 22-win team. Because if he wanted to be a 22-win team, he could have built a team to win 20 games. And it wouldn't have involved signing J.J. Redick, and it wouldn't involve signing Derek Favors. They could have easily stayed young, traded Drew Holiday, uh, and gone, you know, down to the roots and had Zion, gotten another top pick next year, gotten a whole bunch of lottery picks. And there's there's a way to build it that makes a lot of sense that way. And they might be headed that direction unintentionally, um, but there are ways that that would have worked. That's not what he chose to do, and instead you're watching it go south regardless. And I think that sends a mixed message, and that sends the the uh, difference between expectation and reality, I think, is really what's the most disappointing part of this to so many people. Yeah, no question. You're right. I mean, they're absolutely trying to make the playoffs this year. There's, there's no question about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, and... and if they were healthy, maybe they could have stayed in the hunt. And maybe they'll get back there. I highly doubt it. But the West is way softer than we thought. San Antonio's worse. Portland's worse. New Orleans is much worse. Uh, so there's there's a, a possibility that still exists out there. Schedule gets softer second half of the year. I just don't believe that what we've watched 
is some kind of uh, is not reality. This is reality. This is who this team is. They're a team without a closer, and uh, and that's become a pretty big problem. Well, if you listen to this podcast, first of all, thank you. You're a trooper to listen to a Pelicans <laughs> podcast when I'm in a five-game losing streak. Uh, tell your friends about this podcast, Birdwatch. We're, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. You guys got anything else to add? Um, you know, just uh, yeah, we have another national TV game going up. That, <laughs> that was a fun topic before the beginning of the season where they had all these you know national TV games to show off their new you know roster in Zion. And now it's kind of become like a running joke that they're just normally you don't really get to see that national audience talk about the Pelicans and they haven't seen much yet. But you get Dallas again. That was a fun game the first time around. It was really high-flying. It would be interesting to see how they bounce back. Um, but, yeah, I mean, otherwise, then they then they have the Suns, who are 8-10, and 10, yet the 8th seed in the in the West. So I think there is some potential. But there is also blow-up potential as the season goes on. Can the Pelicans be blamed for the NBA ratings decline? Is that where we're going? <laughs> <laughs> how much can we Next blame? Next week on we Birdwatch. <laughs> Why have the Pelicans ruined the, the NBA? The Pelicans have killed the NBA ratings. Everybody's trying to find these reasons and... <laughs> Sure enough, <laughs> they keep turning on the TV Put, and it's putting this team on thirty <laughs> times might have been uh, might have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh man, I just want to talk about basketball, man. I just like basketball. I know. Please God, the ratings, man, right. it's hilarious. And it's like you know, when the next TV contract comes out, they're still going to make a whole bunch of money. There's not going to be some yeah. precipitous dip. There's more media companies. There's more you know demand for it than ever. And it really doesn't matter what the ratings are. No one should really care that much. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Here's my proposal for fixing the schedule. 72 regular season games. You play everyone in your conference three times. You play everyone in the other conference two times. You go one through 16 seeding. Best of five in the first round. Best of seven. Boom. I just fixed it. Start on Christmas Day. And then there's two wildcard teams that get to just, you just pick a one person up from each that just fights to the death and whichever team wins gets in. Sack races on consecutive yes, Sundays. Yeah. There you go. I'm in for that. It'll be like just like a regular high school field day. Like just that type of competition. Tug of war, but, uh, mud wrestling, any of that. I mean, living here, now you lived and you grew up in Dallas, um, but living here during this year in particular, you can really tell the strain that football puts on the NBA here. It has killed the interest in the NBA for half the season. It's not a month or two. It's it's not a couple of games. It's half the season is gone by the time that people wake up and say, oh, we have a professional basketball team uh, in the neighborhood. Maybe we should see what they're doing. And that really hurts them. And I don't, I think the league being so focused in New York and Los Angeles, where football is not that much bigger king than everybody else, really does it hasn't let that part enter this conversation. They haven't talked about the calendar at all. There's nothing going on in the summer. Why aren't they playing the NBA Finals in August? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not ideal that that it starts in October, but I think Mark Cuban made a pretty good point, too. You know, a lot of the NBA's issues, it's games are on cable, yeah. and football's games are on broadcast TV. You don't have to pay $150, $200 a month to, to watch football games, and that sucks, man. I mean, cable blows. Yeah, and but, I mean... You could just not compete with football. Yeah. Like, it just it's very easy to not compete with football. You just start the games later. The games are all inside. You can play whatever you want to. They can compete with baseball. They can compete with whatever's going on in the summer. The NBA, the NBA playoffs has that month or two to itself, and it's great. So, and Summer League is all broadcast on TV, and everyone cares <laughs> about Summer League. Summer League is the worst. It's the worst basketball imaginable. And yet, 
it's a big deal because there's nothing else going on. If it was occurring in October, no one would care about NBA Summer League. Hear me out. Open air NBA arenas. That's it. Retractable roofs. Retractable roofs. They get like Wimbledon out there. Exactly. Watch Wimbledon. I I do think that just avoiding football on its own would really help the interest. Scheduling is definitely something that they need to look at. because it's a consumable product, and no, one, and you're not being able to consume it. You're watching a five-hour college football game instead of a two-hour NBA game, uh, and yeah, I agree ta- with you. Just talking about football yeah. is a lot easier than talking about basketball when there's sixty games left to play. Yeah. Well, uh, I know one thing that'll help: get Zion back. It's <laughs> my advice. Christian needs it. Who's God? <laughs> all right. All right, guys, I, I think that's all for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify, and thanks. Go Pals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bow down. Oh. <laughs>